0: Welcome to fun-packed episode number 19 of Something Inventive, Minimum Lovable Podcast. Al and I are joined by new rather inventive employee Claire Harris to discuss cybercrime, driverless cars, flexible working hours, fake news and the Global Data Protection Regulation or GDPR for sure. So we're joined today with a special guest, Claire Harris. She actually started working with Rather Inventive back in June um, and has been on assignment to a GDPR workshop. How much fun did you have there, Claire? It
1: was Really good actually, Ben. It was really good. Very interesting. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of the points that I picked up.
0: Yeah, great. I think it, it is a big topic. and and I think there's a lot to, to talk about there. But before we do, let's let's go into something a bit um lighter. And uh Al, you went to the Bath Digital Festival, was it last week?
2: It was the week before last actually. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean it ran for ten days. And um, although certainly some things there were, were, were lighter, some of them were very heavyweight topics. Really? <laughs> really, yeah. And um, I got my money's worth because it was £15 pounds for any event you wanted to attend. So it may, it was a no-brainer for me just to sign up to as many as possible, um, which saw me running across Bath at high speed, often in the wrong <laughs> direction, I may, may add, to get to and from because there was no time in between some of the talks and they overran a little bit. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a day of logistical... Planning. I'd planned exactly when I was going to eat and where I was going to go and all these sort of things
0: and how I was going to get I food. I can picture you running across Bath with sandwich in your hand. Exactly.
2: Yes. So and there was, water there, was the other. Exactly. there was very little break at, and, on some of them. So yeah, I got my money's worth and went to a real big variety of different things that weren't weren't all techy. There, uh, there was various different um, avenues. So there was a Tesla car and the Dyson team were there with various mm. Hoover thing contraptions so there was a uh, yeah real real big variety but um and I, I thought what I'd do is I just skip through some of the interesting talks I went to I think I went to 12 or 14 something like that really yeah wow. some of them were like three hours long so I really put in the time <laughs> um but oh, I loved it it was really really good and uh hopefully I got there was there was someone papping photos all the time so I think I'm hopefully in all the photos but I haven't seen them yet <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. I'm going to do them in the order that I did them because I'm lazy and I've just written them down in that order. So they follow no particular pattern. <laughs> but um, the first one I went to was really interesting. It's probably the best one in terms of future thinking, I suppose. Um, and that was from Nat, the NatWest fraud team on cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. and so they were there and they work in the fraud team so they deal with these kind of phishing scams you know, email scams there's a whole load of new words uh, built around the word phishing so there's, there's vishing and vishing yeah so that's audio or video phishing video, yeah. audio well I thought that but actually it's not apparently And there's other things that end in ishing that I didn't write them all down but uh, they're all bad and they're all basically out to scam you And and if there was a graph of like scams it would be going up Uh, Like not vertically, but massively up. Yes, there was. Do you remember the one we got recently
0: from um, a client uh, where they were sent an email uh, supposedly from WordPress support asking them, telling them there's potentially a hack on their website. Indeed. And they need to add this file onto their WordPress installation to protect against it.
2: That (gasps) was very easy to very easy to identify as spam.
0: Because, it was, but some people might do that. I can no, definitely
2: see. yeah, absolutely. It's very hard. First thing to do is look for grammatical errors, or if it just doesn't quite make sense. In this mm. one, it said, um, "Your site has been taken over by hackers with evil's intentions." <laughs> <laughs> that for me, this is a spam email. That was in the first sentence. I'm like, "Well done, guys! You've really didn't felt it
0: have me. after that." Mwah, mwah.
2: Yeah, I should. Yeah, I shall move on to the content. I've got a like a content notes from one of my um. My talks, they could probably have done with attending that. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so they're easy to spot. But there's lots that are not easy to spot. Um, and I won't... It was a two-hour talk, so obviously I can't um, recount it all. But the, the takeaway points for me um, were that you just can't trust email or even SMSs. And we do trust them. And even if they appear to come from the person you expecting them to come from, they may not have come from that person. Mm. Their email could be easily hacked with a password that's guessable, the scammers will sit on your email account and check what's going on, seeing what you're up to, and then at the exactly right moment, they will deploy a scam. That it just it's it doesn't seem unusual for you to be receiving an email about I don't know an invoice from a you know from someone, or a change of account details from someone, and it, it won't register as you as being weird because it's you're expecting it and it's from the person you're expecting it from. So there's just you've got to be so careful and uh, essentially just don't trust email. Uh, and I, it's something I do as well. You know we email things and you think oh yeah that's information I've got and I've told them this but they you know, may never have seen it or someone's intercepted it so it's pretty scary so we've got to be careful going forwards and SMS is another thing you kind of trust those a bit more because you know it's from your friend but is it really you know mm. uh, and there's apps out there that can spoof any from num- phone number and so forth so it's it's incredible but one of the most interesting things they, they did was to play back a tape of um a household name company so this is a big company with procedures and processes and so forth and how they actually got scammed nearly out of seven million pounds on the strength of well it was one phone call really but a lot of background work like these scammers they're not just phoning up people randomly this is months of work and when they find places where they've been doing it you know they can they've got like flip charts and offices and whiteboards of how to get in and do it. They know all the employees. They know what the employees like from their Facebooks. They know what their you know the sort of personality they're like, and they will play on this and find a way in and scam and scam big companies. And they played back the tape. Well, it was a recording of the tape word for word um, because they this company records all their phone calls, ingoing and outgoing. And it was it was scary to listen to because you can see just with little bits of information that have been given and uh, and received from the different people they spoke to. They were very easy, very quickly, easy, easily able to gain trust from the top accountant in the company. And ultimately, they gave away their logging details to online banking, and they were able to transfer, well, they tried, attempted to transfer £7 million out of their account. And they, they would have done it if, if, if they just hadn't been quite so greedy. Because the first two were for seventy k, uh, and they, those went. And they go to these um, holding accounts, which are often also hijacked, so you wouldn't realise that your account was kind of hijacked in this way. Oh, right, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you often think, why don't they just get the person whose money goes, the account it goes into, which is a sensible thought. But often these are like they're called, um, oh, mulers or something, like money movers. There's a mm. word for it that they use. It's something like a mueller <laughs> So again, there's a lot. It, it's like a, it is organized crime. You know, it, there's nothing you know, haphazard about it. It's organized, very organized crime, and it requires a lot of balls to call up a big um, company and you know ask for their login details and keep them, you know, keep them believing that you're from the NatWest team. That was what this call was. They actually believed they were from the bank. So, um, yeah, it was quite something. Wow. You just got your head in your hands going, why, how could you do this? But they did do it, you know? So incredible.
0: It's um, very similar to, um, you get, we're with HSBC, so you might get a call from HSBC saying there's a fraud on the card, and so yeah. uh, they, they, they they call you and then ask for your details, which is always a bit strange, but yes. I, I I will always say, no, I'll call you back. Exactly. <laughs> Even if it takes me long to get through, I'll call you back on the uh, details yes. I have for
2: you. And that's what these guys did, and again, I don't want to talk too much about this particular thing, but that's what happened here. They said, there's something going wrong with your account, please call us back on this number which was a, a reasonable sounding like 0845 mm-hmm. number and on that they just recorded the pre-recorded like press one press two thing for the fraud team <sighs> Cool. this is all you know it's planned months planning yeah, yeah. um and so they did all those things press the thing and they said oh you've got a case number yes they already had this so it all sounded official mm-hmm. and um so yeah even in this respect they didn't phone the regular number they phoned the number they'd been given on the phone you see so again they made little errors here and there and they also got through to a junior member of staff, which they knew, who, who they knew would be a bit rattled by it all. So it's very, very clever. And it did work. So, um, yeah, scary. So anyone, the, the, the takeaway there is that like anyone can get scammed. you just got to be really, really, really cynical about email and to check, phone the person. If it's something about an, an invoice change or banking and so forth, phone them, make sure it's really legitimate. Mm-hmm. So that was that. Um, so is that,
0: that, that was their tip, sort of be cynical.
2: But unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. And in, I'm guessing big organisations, they're trying to put in place like two-person per, two authentication so no one can do anything on their own. So no one can transfer money or do anything like this without another person, a bit like, I guess, the nuclear launch codes. So you need two people to turn a key, you know, in the movies where there's two people on the opposite side of the room and they both put the key in and turn it at the same time, like this, for like releasing funds or changing invoices and so forth. So, and she was saying that some people have, um, she knows people who lost twelve million pounds, you know, the high worth individuals and businesses, and some, and you don't hear about these because they're little, but um, many businesses go completely um, just out of business from one little error that the accounting person made, which maybe, if you're a, business owner it's you and you just again it's this email scam um and you've accidentally paid the wrong person a large amount of money which you thought you were paying them and of course this double sting is that you've lost that money but also your supplier wants that money as well yes I know. and that's what puts you out of business mm. so um yeah it's terrible really so i'll move on because there's loads <laughs> um the next one i went to i went to a flexible working for mums um talk I was the t- only male so I was the token male in the room which is interesting <laughs> but since I work flexibly from home I thought this might be interesting so I went along and it was quite interesting it's more of a discussion sort of thing about the future of working and, and how hard it is for people to find flexible working when they're a mum so yeah, that's interesting and I think there is a trend now towards more home working uh, and hopefully more working around family life rather than mm. family life having to suffer but from the people in the room half the people sort of did work flexibly and half just couldn't get in to do that i don't know what the answer is and we never we didn't come up with a solution but mm. it is really hard to f- go and get a job that where you already have that trust uh, from your employer to work at home it's really hard it's, to it's do.
0: something you you do don't you i mean as well as working flexibly you you, you sort of have time looking after the children in in, in and around work exactly so yeah. it's while you're not a mum you do have some of that um, bear some of that responsibility that yeah
2: i did make, make it clear thing. in the talk that i wasn't a mum
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Hands <laughs> off anyone you not a mum.
2: Because everyone went around did a little sort of spiel about who they were, and I was like, "Well, I'm." And someone had said, "I'm not a mum," because <laughs> they 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 were like a recruiter. I was like, "Well, I'm not a mum either, but." Don't forget about the dads out there because that's yeah. important too. You know, so uh, I was like standing up for the men there because it is. You're it's right. important to be a dad and be around. It's not just it, mums. It, it um... is,
0: and if you want, if you want men to take more responsibility of um, looking after children at home or at different points, you don't, you don't really want you want them to be able to pick them up from school or take them to school yeah. or, or join in some of these um, social events. I mean, it's it's something that um, it's it's actually quite nice to do. It's Something I I get the opportunity to do. I don't do most of the, most of the looking after the children. But a lot, a lot of it, I will get the opportunity to, to take them to these events in the school. And it's nice. It's nice to be part of that. But um, so okay. I'm in a privileged position to do that. A lot of people don't. They really want people to be, if they are working, to be at their place of employment, mm. even if it makes no sense for them to be there.
2: Exactly. So it's quite, I guess, an old-fashioned principle that we've mm. sort of kept with sort of 9 to 5 or 9 to 5.30. This kind of, that's what you do. Like pubs close at 11. That was really from the war, you know, but we ke- we keep it going because that's what we do. That's what it is. No one wants yeah, to that, change anything.
0: That is something that is truly ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean
2: that's, that's changed on. a bit now. You know, with late licenses and things. Not that I have any to ever. I'm rarely up past eleven to go out. But um, uh, it's uh, it's just something that just becomes ingrained, and, and so everyone does it. So it's normal. But it's not normal to be really productive between the hours of nine or five for most people. It really isn't. So. That's a waste, but uh, anyway, that's uh, probably another podcast.
0: No, but it's um, good. It's good that they were discussing that because even though there are no solutions to it, it, it's something that needs to be talked about. And eventually, people will identify that either it's not a problem for you know to have a, their employees in all the time, or or that they need to make concessions. They need to change things. It's, concessions is the wrong word. I think they'll get benefits from doing it.
2: Oh, t- totally. I mean, the, your your staff turnover rate would would go down because you'd have massive staff loyalty because you can't find those perks anywhere else. Mm. And they're intangible. You know, they're not, you know, oh, you get, a, you know, a car or something that it's time with your children or... And it's not just with children either. We were quite clear that it, you know, if you're into doing something else, like say you want to go on a bike ride, uh, fine, go and do that and then work in the evening. Yeah, you know, that's the sort of ethos. Um, so there. Um... Here, another one I went to was uh, a talk from a guy representing um, Google, uh, and uh, um, I don't know if you've heard of this. Bennett's. There's a sort of series of workshops and talks going around the country called Google Digital Garage, yes. or Garage, I suppose. I have in heard America. of it. Um, so it was one of those, and they tend to go to like small, out of the way places, um, and do talks about how to improve your, you know, presence online, how to use Google, all of different sort of Google services. So that was that was quite good. Um, I. I went to talk about analytics and, you know, the Ad AdWords sort of system. So, um, yeah, and I would recommend if it's free, yeah, really kind of professional slick um, presentation. So I would recommend if you just need to find out all go- about Google. I mean, everyone uses Google in some way. So it's, yeah, if there's anything near you uh, to do with the digital garage, then, uh, or garage, uh, then, uh, yeah, go along to it.
0: I'll see if I can find a um, a list of where their events are and mm. post it in the Hmm
2: so moving on rapidly completely other random thing this was one of the highlights for me this next one Uh, not because there was a free drink at the bar but because (laughs) um because it was well it was from a company so it wasn't sort of talking about general stuff it was like saying this is what we're doing first half of the talk eh, not so impressive but what they at their actual product is just a really good idea and you know when you see something you think that is so obvious and i don't mean that to be sort of demeaning or patronizing i always think that that for me, that makes it a really good idea because it's so obvious mm. that why have not you done? Why no one done this before? But it's a problem with passwords and uh, no one can remember their passwords. People choose really simple passwords, which is a problem for the first one of cybersecurity. You know, that's a really weak link. Um, and no one can remember things and it's only going to get worse. And if you think of the future of passwords, you may be forgiven for thinking like biometrics is like, going to be the future maybe for passwords so it will um, look at your eye or um, your fingerprint which phones do now Mm. um, and so forth but actually if you listen to the arguments biometrics is just a terrible idea for authentication it really it actually really is I never really considered it but um, with a password if you if your password is stolen hacked or you forget it you can reset it
0: yeah
2: how do you reset your eye if someone gets a scan of your eye you can't. How do you do that? If someone gets a scanner, your fingerprint, and can sort of, you know, stick it on something, you can't ever reset that. You can't. You can't. It, it will only work if it, if nothing ever got stolen from you, it would be fine. It would be bulletproof. But if anything, which and you know, again, from the hacking, it's going to happen. You're going to have fake retinal scanners that scan it, create a fake eye, whatever. So yeah, biometrics is such a bad idea. What what they had, their product is just brilliant. Is instead of password, you have a visual sign in. So you get a picture, your own picture, that you've uploaded. That's your kind of password, is a picture that you've uploaded. And then you press four different exact spots on that photo, and that is your password that no one else could possibly know. And you don't forget it because you know where to go, because it's a visual thing. Mm
0: -hmm. We're not very good at remembering
2: numbers and letters, but we're really good at remembering pictures.
0: Yeah, we're very good at knowing space, knowing where things are in a physical space more than... um... Yeah, numbers. Yeah. yeah. interesting. So
2: for every different site, you'd have a different photo. And you'd see the photo, you go, oh, yeah, I know. And it would bring back a memory that no one else would have. And you'd say, although the photo may, you may think, oh, they'll, they'll click here, here, and here. But there might be something in the photo that's actually is meaningful to you. And you click that. It's just genius. I love it. <laughs> I think it's such a good idea. So, uh, yeah, that was that one. So
1: are they doing that anyway? Yeah.
2: I mean, they okay. seem to have, they seem to be um, doing that abroad a bit. I haven't seen it in regular use yet, but they've been going a few years. It's called Pixel Pin. Um, Yeah, they've been going a few years um, and then they've got sort of a sales... You know, They're a little team based in Bath, but I think they've got us a worldwide reach and I get the feeling they're in the Far East quite a bit dealing with technology companies. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's something to look out for.
0: I saw something similar to that um, with Virgin. We have a Virgin credit card. And when you log into that, you got to choose an image. Ah, yes. along with your... Your username password, you also got to select an image out of uh, a sle- um, 10 that they had or something like that. And it was just an additional element to the security that mm. it was difficult that to guess would have just increased the number of variations a computer had to go through mm. um, or iterations to actually guess it by mm. tenfold. But I thought that was yeah. interesting. Not exactly the same as this. Just with biometrics, I don't think biometrics are the answer to securing something, that, but they are convenient and that's what's useful that you don't need to think about them so with a face scan an iris scan or a fingerprint you don't need to do anything but put your limbs in a certain place or position your face somewhere indeed and and so that's what's nice about them they're incredibly quick and convenient whereas even with this this sounds like a great idea for a password Mm. but you still have to stop and think about what you're doing so Um, it could be really good for very high security things
2: I mean but why shouldn't you these are important things that you should think about You but know, I guess
0: that gives people a different level so you, know, you can, um, I think with the iPhone you can use their thumb but you can also have um, uh, both a pin code as well so you can yeah. have a very long pin code you make it as long as you like well the longer you make it the better it's going to be but it's more difficult to remember and takes you longer to type in
2: But then if you think like a criminal and you know, um, cyber crime is only going to go up and if you need the person in order to get into something like their fingerprint or their eye you can only imagine what the next step is it's going to be abducted well it is because people will need the actual person to, well, you've to get seen into things. the uh, things. Like car keys. Level. Cars are now so secure that you need to break into the house to get the key. <laughs> is that that's the weakest point of entry. So you have to think what's the weakest point of entry in a biometric system? The person.
0: Yeah. Well like yeah. And it, so it,
2: you're it, carrying around uh, <laughs> on the end it. of your fingers. Does <laughs> that something you want to do? Not I don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. No. So anyway, sorry, doom and gloom. Told you there's some no, heavyweight no, you're, topics you're in you're there.
0: certainly right. I think for high security, but it's, it just comes down to convenience. You know, for certain things, if you just want to check check your phone, you know, you're an individual, you just want to check it for um, for things. It's a lot more convenient to use biometrics, but it, mm. it does come with the, the risk that they can force you to do something. So force you to mm. look at your phone or put your finger on that. <laughs> yes, you know, look at the
2: phone. I'm not going to look at the phone. Ah, I know, I can't I know
0: with um, Apple's new <laughs> Face ID that's coming out yeah, with uh, yeah, yeah, their new phone, you have to look at the phone. So the reason they've done that, I believe, is so you can't just hold it up to someone who's sleeping and it recognizes their face. They have to have their eyes open and be present. They call it presence. So you have to actually be looking at the right. phone.
2: So what you do is you hold it up to someone who's asleep and just go, boo. And then they go,
0: ah, and then, <laughs> then they i have you got yeah. my phone? Oh, okay.
1: With a, would a photo work with their eyes open? Apparently would, would not. Be um,
0: because it's checking for heat as well. So it's it's just layers of complexity. Again, it can be fooled. There's no reason why you couldn't build a model of someone's face that is three-dimensional. It's hot. It looks, yeah. you know, it's got movement. There's no reason you can't do that. You will be able to fool anything, even with this, this um, pixel pin. At some point, someone will find a way of fooling or getting around it. But it's just mm. how difficult you can make it and mm. how, how much technology or knowledge someone needs uh, to be able to crack into something. Mm.
2: Yeah. So it's that, that was interesting. I'll move on again because, again, I've got a couple. Um, fake news. I went to a little seminar about fake news. That was interesting. Um, again, I'll just summarize it. Really, if you don't know something is true and you haven't checked the facts, don't share it or forward it. <laughs> because it just, that is really how fake news perpetuates. And I think from what I took away from that is that really anything political, like elections, are really going to be won or lost on, on social media in the future. Not on truth, but on what people perceive to be the truth.
0: Mm.
2: And people get caught in this sort of bubble of truth of, you know, if you kind of share something, because even if you don't think it's true, and a lot of people share things without just from the headline because it it it's what they think and, and they believe and they share it because they're saying, this is what I think. And look, it's been authenticated by this person. But it's yeah. just someone writing it. And there are people out there who just write news that is completely made up. So it, it, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy ecosystem of um, psychology and, and um, manipulation going on. Um, so, yeah, bottom line is don't share stuff, really, <laughs> that probably isn't true.
0: I think yeah you should Check at least the <laughs> read the articles. So if you've seen something, you click on the link, you read it all the way through and if you still agree with it then of course share it. You know, if that's your opinion then you should share it, but you should read articles. I'm very conscious of um especially in technology but any any area. People have a sensationalist headline that says X doesn't do this or um we've been lied to in some way, but actually their story doesn't hold true that they start off with this premise but actually backtrack from that in the story and because they can't lie um at least from genuine sources so they want these clicks they want the shares they want the sensationalist headline but actually the Mm -hmm. article is not strictly about what they've said in the the headline so they can get away Mm -hmm. with it and it's very Mm -hmm. important to read through and maybe provide some context if you're sharing as well
2: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah it's tough indeed yeah there was something else I saw, which is along the similar lines. I really can't remember who to attribute it to, but it was a, um, basically a woman that's saying, if you don't want all this sort of crap news that you see at the bottom of um, um, articles, you know, you get these, uh, why people are leaving Netflix or 10 ways to make your oh, okay. um, your yeah. life better. All of those sort of really rubbish articles, which great headlines, you know, they really work. They hook into you. But actually, the article is not never often related to the headline. And it's usually, you know, pretty crap, pretty re- low value. Um, you, if you don 't want those to propagate don 't click on them because actually, if you click, it gives a signal to the advertiser that that 's working, and they 'll do more of it um, mm. even if you 're not sharing it with people don 't click on things unless you know, mm. unless you really believe it 's going to be something interesting to you
2: it's indeed to sorry
0: louise, our copywriter and my wife she 's got a great book on um, uh, the book's actually very good on copywriting, but there's a couple of pages on there on um, various different headlines that will grab attention. Which, if you read them, they just sound like spammy headlines, you know. But they do work; they work very well. Um, I think you're work. just meant to take it and use them in your own way, in a in an ethical way, rather than in a bad way. But yeah, it's it's got some great. Um, I'll try and find out the book. Actually, it's, it's definitely worth a read. But these um, it's quite scary looking through this list of things because you can see them in every every one of these sort of spammers. Um, these spam articles.
2: I'll just quickly uh, move on to my next talk, which was um, about doing good. So businesses doing good online. So there's a couple of startups. It was mostly about food. There's one key thing that that one of the entrepreneurs said, um, and that was that he really hated people being referred to as consumers, and that he refers to people as citizens. And I, I just love that. He just says, it's citizens. We're citizens, not consumers. And it completely changes the way you see the whole the whole economy and people and communities when you think about citizens you know you of course you need to eat and 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 buy things and and do things but to think of yourself as a citizen not a consumer i, I love that so that was my takeaway um line from there um I, uh, let me think look looking down oh, there was just a really quick thing um i went to one about um prod, uh, product iteration and um research mm-hmm. and just one thing i really liked out of that was um you know we often talk about minimal viable product yeah like an mvp's so when you're developing something new well uh, there's there's two other ones <laughs> so there's a a, a minimal a, a minimal testable product so an mtp <laughs> so that's something really like micro small that you can just test in the market or with your a focus group and then this one i really like which is an mlp any ideas
0: minimum a uh, lovable product yes that's true really? that's right <laughs>
2: yes it's a, a mineral product that
0: people are going to really
2: love <laughs> and really feel an affinity with
0: <laughs> you find that it, there's always a race for people to find out the um uh, abbreviation or buzzword that people are going to use in the media <laughs> so, but, yeah. so because it's got love in it people think oh that's quite nice it's quite soft we can we can use that mm-hmm. uh,
2: yeah, indeed. Yeah, so there's lots of new t- there's lots of new terminology I'd never heard before all over the place.
0: I, I, I know what they're talking about. So ba- basically, because I think viable can be seen as a bit cold, and it's like, what's the most basic? To be honest, I I do agree with minimum viable product, or at least the sense of it. Mm. But I see where they're coming from with lovable. You know, let's build. If we're gonna build something, let's build something that people are really gonna like and get mm. their hooks into. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. So that was my uh, takeaway from there, and then I went to a, a panel discussion on driverless cars, which is something of interest to me as I don't drive. It's kind of like what the, what does a computer do in the event of an they can't avoid a collision? What does it do? So do you make a decision to to save five people but sacrifice one person? This is a real going to be a real issue with the algorithm that's saying driverless cars, um, and they do lots of tests on I think it's a, is it Stanford or Harvard site. With different, they'll add in different things to this conundrum to just to test people. I haven't done it, but it's like it basically saying, you know, if you had to crash in this situation, what would you do? And there's quite some easy ones. So it's like there's a person or a cat. Where where would you put the car if you had to crash? You put it into the cat. unfortunately. that's what comes out most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they add other things. They say, what if it was a dog or a cat? <laughs> and it turns out that do- dogs fare better than cats in in crash scenarios Uh, fat people fare worse than thin people in crash scenarios (laughs) and women fare better than men in crash scenarios as well as children um so yeah it's it's really interesting kind of psychological technical cultural challenge with driverless cars and that again that's a huge area which i've yeah is, is no one really knows the answers yet that's the exciting thing it's all it's they're just mapping it out now and they had a guy from bath there who they're already putting kind of futuristic driverless car type stuff into road infrastructures mm-hmm. so that yeah. there's some stuff there in 20 years or 10 years when it's needed
0: like what sort of stuff would it be
2: well they little beacons on the side of roads and pavements so the cars know where the edge of the road is and maybe um certain widths of road or certain type of material mm-hmm. um or maybe not using a certain type of material i don't know but um, And maybe signage is also a thing, like clearer signage, or maybe the signage has got RFID chips in and so forth. So just they're just thinking about um, having power so, on the road. Sorry, yeah, Claire.
1: So where where would the blame be if there was an accident? Because, you know, as you said, normally it's sort of driver's error mm. or something's at fault. Yeah. But where, if it's a driverless car... Precisely. Would it be the manufacturers Precisely. Or? No one
2: knows yet. So there's a guy there from a, a legal company who, who, who are dealing with this kind of worldwide and, you know, investigating it's a great question he he doesn't have the answer either do the manufacturers want that liability not really But there's no driver and there are different levels of cars and they see they call it a level 5 car doesn't have a steering wheel <laughs> yeah so there's different levels of you know steering wheel or not you know passive driving um, and then there's, there's a yeah there's a level they get to where it has no steering wheel so how can the person be blamed in that scenario who gets the blame the software developer um, the other person who caused the accident who yeah Really, really difficult stuff.
1: Because if it malfunctions, can you override it?
2: N- not if it doesn't have a steering wheel. No. Exactly. It's very scary stuff.
1: <laughs> it's a bit like, I don't um, think I'd want to be. Um, have,
0: you, have you been on the, the DLR in London? The Doctrine's Light Railway. No. no. Um, I don't think it always is. Ne- well, I'm not sure. When it started, it was fully computerised. So the trains would run themselves so they'd run along the tracks automatically stopping at stations moving off they'd have sensors on the doors so if people got stuck in them they would not they would um, sort of come back open but they're completely driverless as far as i was aware and um, they did have ticket inspectors coming on and off uh, who could stop the train if needed um and so i mean that was uh, probably early 2000s maybe um yeah early 2000 when when, when i saw that in place or oh, it's just coming into place and so we trust you trusted that system obviously there's fewer factors to worry about it's on rails you don't have people generally walking on and off or in front of it because it's not on a road um so it'd be interesting to know how that's fared over time because i think there's a that's a busy very heavily used network especially now canary wharf is very um commercialized and it'd be interesting to know how that's gone because i think i think with these sort of things we might think it's odd now you know um Claire you, you sort of gas when, when, when a car when al said about the car not having a steering wheel, but I think that's just something we'll become used to, and so I think our, our, as we become removed from the system, we'll become more trusting in it um, so I think these things will just become more normal, but yeah it, as the, as as to how the law's going to work, I think it's just going to come down to what the first few rulings are. And if it if it goes in favour of the um, or, or against the manufacturer, then that's that's the way it's going to start going. Or who provides the operating system for it? Because again, that that might be split. You might have Toyota who make the car, but um, some sort of Android system from Google is is the actual operating system for the car. Who knows? I mean, it's quite interesting.
2: Yeah, and the, the guys did say, you know, the law is is just historically so slow at keeping up with change. I mean, we've barely got laws in place for things that have been around now, like digital stuff online. You know, people you know, people are getting away with fraud because there are kind of no laws, enforceable laws for it. And um, yeah, he was saying the law just isn't going to be able to keep up with this. It's just not fast enough. It's a slow moving beast. And, and, you know, technology is a very, very rapidly changing landscape across the world. So, and again, should there be one law across the world or is it this different laws or, or yeah, it's just, it's a minefield. Um so yeah I, there's no answers right now but people are talking about it
0: i think we need to move on
2: now. yeah i went to a talk on content um and using structured content and also um about localization and not translation if you're doing um, pages for overseas not to just translate it but to localize it and that that's that's really the thing there but um someone from the audience said um well how should i structure my content for uh, visually impaired people the woman said well Google is blind. So if you do it right for Google, then that's the best thing you can do. And I hadn't really thought about that before, but it's absolutely true. Google is blind. And if you think about it like that, and all the sort of tags we add in for structured content, you know, metadata, um, categorization and tagging, um, all these sort of things, it's to help Google see what it is, because you can't see it. And we do talk about Google seeing things. It doesn't see anything. It can only read things. So um but it can read things not in a not a visual way, but just from the data it's got so it is it is blind, so i really I really like that uh, phrase and that no, nice. I've,
0: I, I, yeah. I've never thought about it in that way actually, because i mm. I always when, when you want to see um uh, the order and structure of the information there there are various web services you can go to which strip out all of the sort of visual stuff and just show you what google sees but you're right that that is almost the same view that you'd want for a speech reader for someone who can't see at all who's using Mm. their browser to read it out for them it's very similar
2: yeah so that was my yeah that was my um light bulb moment there i thought that was really yeah a nice nice. yeah okay i'm done now (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, thank you very much Al Um, I I don't know whether um, it would be worth putting some of those links um, uh, along with your opinions onto a little blog post I think you've probably got a lot more that you went to see that we haven't been able to share so before we move on to you Claire to take a little bit of a break I'm just going to mention our sponsor which is ticked off um, so TikTok is for any startup or small business who wants to promote themselves online and just needs a little bit of help. It's particularly useful if you don't know where to start, who to trust, or you feel you're just too busy running your company to make time for marketing, TikTok might well be a good fit for you. So it provides simple tasks that you can act on right away, maybe links off to downloads or steps you need to complete it. Plus, and this is the bit I like, a big button to tick it off when you're done. We've designed Ticked Off so you can progress from newbie to pro at your own speed, developing confidence and learning more with each task. So, where to go to sign up for it? If you go to ticked-off.com, you can sign up for a free 30-day trial with just your name, email, and no credit card. So you can get going and start playing with it straight away. But if you're a Something Inventive listener, and I know you are because you're hearing this now, you can just let us know you've signed up by mentioning at Rather Inventive on Twitter and then I'll activate your account to give you a year free. So that's 360 days of TikTok for no cost. All I ask is that you mention us on Twitter at Rather Inventive, and if possible, just give us some feedback. Tell us what you think. TikTok helps you be the boss of your marketing one task at a time. So Claire, you've been quiet, but now is your time to shine. <laughs> So you're going. You went to a workshop on GDPR by Kidwells Law in Hereford. You've also been working behind the scenes on um, basically getting rather Ventif up to speed on GDPR. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, what we've been doing um, to bring us up to speed, and about the workshop, and you know tell us what GDPR is?
1: Okay. Well, GDPR is quite a big thing to get your head around so i'm still learning um so yes last week i went to the talk at kidwells and it kind of started to make gdpr feel a bit more um kind of manageable so gdpr what basically what does that mean that's a general data protection regulation and that regulation is changing next year so From the 25th of May, um, there are eight new clauses basically coming into the regulations that businesses need to have in mind and prepare for over the next few months. GDPR is how we handle personal data to protect against cybercrime of the future. So it's quite fitting with some of the things that Al was saying. Um, So it's it's kind of being aware of the information that we hold And kind of really evaluating whether we need that information and that we have consent to hold that information. So the personal information that um, we need to get consent for from the 25th of May next year um, is to have people's full and last name, so their entire name, um, a photo of the personal email. So a personal email, if it contains their full and last name, is still personal because they are... Directly identifiable. So going forward, uh, people would sort of ideally need to start using their initials or um, something else uh, if it's slightly, you know, if they don't want to have consent for that. So it's sort of, it's not just clients, but it's looking at employees as well, sort of within a business, um, that you have consent uh, for those sorts of things. Social media posts, that one I was slightly vague on. so I think I need to do a little bit more research about what it is about social media posts that you need consent mm-hmm. for uh, so obviously medical data i p addresses cookies bank details um, are also under that umbrella of data that you need to have consent for um, so it's kind of uh, from the um, from the talk it's it's kind of taking a practical approach because obviously every um, business has a sort of different requirements of information that they need to hold so there's there's no sort of direct path there's no kind of um sort of approved seal of you are gdpr uh, sufficient Mm. Uh, but it's just making sure that you know what data you hold you have consent for that data Um, if you've contacted them and they haven't got back to you you can reach out again but if they don't get back to you and give you that consent then you know you have to remove that data Um, so there's no you know it's it's not optional um you have to you know you have to take responsibility for this um so when you when you sort of ask for the data from what I understood, you need to you know be very sort of clear and transparent about why you're holding that data and sort of share. The reasons for it, whilst also kind of letting them know how long you're going to keep it. Uh, So maybe you you'll say we're going to keep it for 12 months, and then in 12 months' time, you maybe well you'd have to get back in touch and say, do you mind if we hold it a a little bit longer? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You need to notify them of their rights uh, because one of the new um, kind of points. from May is that people have the right to be forgotten. Um, they have the right to sort of access it and know the information. Um, if they do request the information from you, you have 30 days to gather that information and present it in a very sort of intelligible form. Um, and you're not allowed to charge yeah, for that process. Yeah, that's isn't it? Because though. people
0: were charged before. <clears throat> wow.
1: So, um, and... You have to sort of demonstrate to them how you will appropriately delete or shred that information um, and also make them aware of how they are able to lodge a complaint so it's kind of being really open and transparent about what you have and how they can kind of get rid of it I suppose
2: um, but who's checking up on them to, so let's say I dealt with a um, a company and they said mm-hmm. and, and they and I then have to sign some sort of consent form, is that right? To say that I'm happy yes. for them to have my data. So that's something they would produce.
1: I would. Yes, sign. so each company would have their own kind of policy and request form uh, because each, each company would be wanting different information and sort of be using it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do wonder on a sort of personal note i do kind of wonder whether it'll be a bit like the t's and c's with you know everything Mm. we sign up for Mm. do we just dig a box and we we sort of get numb to it but i Mm. think uh, you know from january next year the bbc its already on the radio at the moment they're mentioning gdpr it's going to be sort of splashed in the newspapers so i think people will become sort of hyper aware um for a few months and sort of until they kind of get sort of bored of it or mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. kind of so used to it that they're just like oh it's another tick box i'll just do it but mm-hmm. i think it you know it does safeguard us so on a sort of a, on an individual personal note um now, when a company you know, has me on their database and they try and call me and I say to them, can you please remove my data from your database? And they sort of slam it down. If I can get the name of that company and an email address, I can email them and, you know, um, CC in the ICO and give a written request, you know, please remove my data from your database, and they too, too, um, they too have to oblige. They can't, you know, they can't kind of ignore that. But who
2: checks that? Uh, the ICO? So, they seem a bit so stretched the, as it is now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I can't really speak for them, but from what I understand, um, if uh, there's a data breach um, or anything like that, you have 72 hours to report it to the ICO, wow. um, because otherwise, you um, there's fines in place and there is a sort of a sliding scale depending on the business but it can be up to four percent of your annual turnover um with a maximum of 20 million um obviously that doesn't apply to most businesses um but they are they are kind of trying to take it seriously Mm. that was the impression that i got from uh the talk, anyway, and in some ways, going to the talk made me take it a little bit more mm. seriously because I was kind of like, Is it just you know a little, you it, know, kind of a bit more paperwork? Yeah, it, it, it sort of
2: just reminds me of the EU cookie law, which was like, Oh, cookies, hmm. you're gonna steal all your data, you know, and then now it's just. Oh, it's another tick box. Okay, fine. You know, it's so blasé. It's just in the way. I click okay to confirm it. I don't really know what it means. Well, I mean, I do, but most people just be like, oh, another one of these boxes. So it just becomes a little bit, and and still things are tracked online. So I'm just wondering whether this is yeah, it's really like nice approach to safeguard your your details and so forth. But how would you, as just one person, let's say you know I was a PowerGen customer like five years ago. How do I really know that PowerGen don't have my details anymore?
1: Well, I think if you go through the process um, and, you know, you ask for that data and, um, you know, if that, I guess you'd find out if there was a, you know, if there was a data breach and, you know, you resulted in, you know, you had an effect from them holding that data so a damage to your reputation financial loss then you would be able to sue them for yeah. that mm, that's
2: okay I don't really have much of a reputation so I'm doing do <laughs> <laughs> Um
1: but yes I don't know I think the only the only time that it will really come to sort of play is when there's been a data breach that affects you in a damaging way mm. um, and that's when you will know um, yeah, that's what I
0: think with the fines. I think that they they will be very strong. And I think this is giving them more right to fine people and, and um, sort of take people to court than they had previously because it is a bit woolly. Mm. A lot of these things are, are in place to some degree already, but they're very woolly and they're not as nailed down. I think this is what it's trying to do. Um,
1: yeah. There are
0: some other things that I'm more interested in, um, such as implied permission. And, and I'm not sure exactly what it, what the extent is, but at the moment, if you... If we have a customer who, who buys office, then we are allowed to communicate with them uh, along the mm-hmm. same lines of whatever they've bought from us. So, so in, in, in what we have, if someone's buying Internet Marketing Services office or a website, then we, we send a monthly email newsletter out um, talking about those mm-hmm. sort of things. So it is very relevant. Um, is that going to change when, when the, the new law comes in? Um, or is it similar?
1: It's, it will... It will be changing. Um, I, would, I would suggest from w- what I understood from it that um, safeguard yourself and have that consent. There's no harm in asking people and kind of reaching out and possibly looking at it as a positive opportunity to kind of touch base of you know uh, people within the database that you, you haven't sort of directly made contact with for a while um, and kind of refresh that um,
0: yeah, because hopefully we're, we would be adding value and giving them something of value by sending an email mm-hmm. with useful information in it. And we, we wouldn't want to send it out to people who are not receiving it because then that is spam. You know, they're, if they're receiving something mm-hmm. they don't want, that's spam. Um, so yes, you're right. It's it's a good opportunity to refresh that list. Um, also something else is Google Analytics will apply to this. So with the cookie law, you, you can have implied permission um, and then you sort of take it on your own liability that you're assuming that people visiting your website um are know about cookies and would like to receive those the cook the sort of basic cookies you're using um uh, and those could be google Mm. analytics so they understand that you might be tracking how they're moving around the site on a non-individual basis um but but obviously google analytics does store um uh, while it doesn't store people's names as such, it does store uh, IP addresses and user identifiable, potentially user identifiable information and and their habits on your website. So this d- d- definitely does fall under that law too.
1: Mm. So uh, one of the things they sort of touched upon um, in the talk um, was, you know, obviously the big players like Google will be coming up and drawing up their own policies, uh, but as a business. Um, you know you can't you need to you need to look into what these policies are because they're going to be making these policies to the advantage of Mm -hmm. them um so as a business you need to take responsibility to ensure um that the policy also you know covers what you want out of it um so you know don't just think oh it's google um i'll just go with what they say because it may not cover you and the sort of the kind of the branches out from your business but As an individual, um, you can kind of work out what information it is that you need. You can inform your clients what that is, Um, you know, whether that's in your privacy policy on the website or, you know, as part of a contract when you're initiating business saying these are the things that we we will be having, um, you know, stored and this is how we're going to store it. um, And we will keep it for this amount of time and then we'll reach out to you again and see whether you're happy for us to continue holding that information. Um, but in the meantime, you can, you know, withdraw that at any point.
0: It's actually a good, probably a good time to review the um, any widgets and data collection um, that you you've got mm-hmm. on your site because uh, beyond Google Analytics, there are lots of other little um, data collection widgets like oh uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Lead Forensics yeah, is one. Hotjar. Um, there's another yeah. one we've we've been we'll trial trial for other things um, such as being able to actually view user sessions. So you can't uh-huh. tell who they are. But actually there's a, um, I wish I could remember what it's called, but you can actually see their user session. So you can see their mouse re- moving around what they're clicking on. Um, you can even see what they type into forms. So there's actually a facility as part of it to null out those forms. So you, it doesn't collect the information they type in there. So you don't see personal information. But of course, it's still collecting this potentially identifiable information. So I definitely say mm-hmm. it's a good time to review the code and remove any any sort of third-party data collection or any internal data collection that you don't need. Uh,
1: And also, while you're kind of looking at that data, you can draw up a risk assessment um, and really kind of sort of look at how you're storing it. um, You know, how likely is it that somebody is going to take that information um, and abuse it? Um, But then also kind of uh, looking at how you store it, so whether it's in a sort of safe location, maybe you split that data across several files, um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of different ways of kind of looking at it. And I think it is about tailoring it to you as an individual, as a business.
2: Do you think um, there's a lot of big businesses who might, who are either just going to go, I'm not going to do anything, I will just pay the fine if and when, because it's actually cheaper. <laughs> or um, there might be businesses who need to put in place potentially a whole new department for this. If If BT need to start giving out information to people about what information they hold on them, that's an overhead, oh. a new overhead, isn't it, that ultimately the consumer will have to pay for, I guess. Um, so I wonder whether some companies will just be like, "Well, we'll just pay the fine <laughs> if, if and when we get fined. Do you know what I mean because they can afford it? I wonder if any companies will take that view. We'll yeah, see.
1: yeah I mean well, you know, we, we've
2: already got big companies like Talk Talk and um, Equifax, whose data seem and Yahoo, whose data seem to have been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, millions of uh, you know passwords and email addresses billions and so in forth. the
0: case of Yahoo isn't it isn't yeah right?
2: and they didn't tell anyone and LinkedIn as well I think well they told they um, didn't,
0: didn't they say it was one billion Yahoo and then came out years later saying actually when that happened it was all of our data which was yeah, eight, eight. I made the quoting wrong but four billion records or something like that
2: yeah <laughs> and I'm guessing with this new laws I'm, I'm, and again maybe it depends where that data's held you know because that might be actually held in USA and I don't know whether that what you know jurisdiction that has with the GDPR is this just the UK
1: GDPR? Um, it's it's not just the UK. No, it will be happening across uh, the EU, from what I understand. Yeah. Um But so. But I think there's sort of slightly different clauses. So, for example, uh, for the UK from May next year, um, the sort of minimum age for children to give consent for their sort of data to be stored will be 13 rather than 16. That was the only thing I kind of picked up in the talk. Mm. Um, that was slightly different, but I'm sure there'll be other sort of minor sort of changes.
0: So, Claire, I'd, um, I'd like you just to briefly say what, what we've been doing internally um, to prepare for this but before we do i just want to read out a podvert from a client of ours um who actually it actually came in on the auto hashtag collector that you set up claire so thank you for that um so this is something that claire set up um was it using zapier or if this then that i don't remember
1: i think it was if this then right
0: so you set up something that would monitor um our uh, rather inventive account for a hashtag podvert and then auto insert it into a google spreadsheet worked like a charm so thank you for that um, so this is from at HT underscore AV on Twitter, and they um, put out need audio visual equipment. HTS specializes in the design and installation of all oh, AV systems. Smiley face. So thanks very much for that, Robin. Um, <laughs> you can go and visit them uh, on, uh, if you just search for HTS AV.com and you can go and see their site and check them out. Very nice company. If you want any sort of projectors or display or sound equipment, um, go and check them out. So Claire, we've been talking about GDPR um, at least in a sort of actionable state for the last couple of months, really, and trying to put things in place. Do you want to just very briefly, in five minutes or so, just take people through what sort of steps we've been doing and what we're preparing for?
1: Okay. Um, Well, we've kind of been working together a bit, Ben, haven't we? Because we've been looking at the information that uh, you Hmm. hold. And um, we've been... uh, clearing up the files and reducing and in- ensuring that we're holding relevant information um, and so we're going through the process of identifying what we have so that over the next uh, couple of months we can start um, kind of maybe being one step ahead with the GDPR and you know uh, finding the best way of getting the consent to hold the information we mm. have.
0: So a couple of the things that we've been looking at were um, Basecamp, which is a project management system we use. So it's really cl- clearing that out. And a lot of these things, and I suspect this is where other companies may come unstuck, it's sort of things that uh, are good to do periodically, but maybe you don't have time to do it or you, you're sort of focusing on the future. And it was one thing that we always wanted to sort of clear down and sort of archive off um, various elements in Basecamp. So that was actually a really good opportunity to do that. Um, looking through our hosting database as well, sort of clearing out old hosting accounts that uh, are no longer used but um, it'd be nice to get rid of the information on there um, and delete them down so really clear at clearing that down this has been quite quite a good process to go through um,
1: it's kind of um, grappling with the idea of what the GDPR is because uh, the the guidelines for it haven't been completely set. Although the regulation was put in place, sort of, I think it was at the beginning of this year. There's uh, the guidelines for it ha- aren't, aren't set until December. So it's kind of kind of looking at those and trying to be a- ahead of the game. Um, and kind of evaluating the information we have in line with that and hoping that they don't change the guidelines <laughs> to, well, the, to at the least act. the law
0: won't change because the law was set 2 years ago and comes as, as you say comes into act um, on the 25th of May 2018 but
2: do you think we're ahead of schedule like do you think most businesses are just going to wait and see uh, what what do you get the feeling a are, are lot of businesses worried about this or and uh, like and like us are they doing things now to prepare or are they just got their head in the sand do you think
1: Well, at the talk that I went to last week, they've had to, um, they were fully booked and they've had to create two new sessions, Mm. um, to, to accommodate the people that kind of responded. Because I think it's, it's not that easy to get your head around, um, from the information that I read, it's kind of, it was a bit sort of hard to grapple with and not, you know, not being familiar with that type of sort of, um, terminology and, um, kind of, way of thinking it, it suddenly makes you think you know i can't name people in my minutes you know if you need to yeah. name people in your minutes yeah what do you do you know do you get them to sign the minutes I mean, do you write them as initials I mean. um but then in 12 months will you understand <laughs> who who was there yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, that's an sake. interesting one that's an interesting idea i not, not thought of it like that I mean, but you're, you're quite it, right
2: doesn't it, don't you think overall it's all a bit then a bit anonymous it's okay for people to know my name isn't it I don't mind, like, I can't expect to go through life with no one knowing my name. But it's that they have to
0: ask you, I think. And and I think it, yes. it's not about, it, this This is not targeting the small companies who may, and m- many companies who do act responsibly and only take what mm. they need. This is definitely clearing up and tightening up on companies who do harvest all this data, particularly companies who sell data, and that's their job. Mm. Um, or or in fact, big businesses who who not only make money for whatever products or services they're selling, to someone, to a citizen, um, but also mm, yes. <laughs> um, selling that data on um, because you've you've at some point in the past said that that's okay to do so, and then it goes to somewhere who uh, so a company who then Forget that, that clause
2: <laughs> exactly. So, well, that's an interesting point. Um, what happens to all the current stuff that's out there? Is this like retrofitted, or is this only for like future stuff? So, is every company I deal with, like you know, power companies and and you know, um, utility companies? Are they going to be contacting me to ask for consent Uh, or or is it is everything that's already stored somewhere else? That's not touchable. That's just previous law. And anything going forward from May next year or whatever is like the new law.
1: No, from what I understood in the talk, um, all data, you know, whether it was, you know, got 10, 20 years ago is still um, Still fair game. still needs consent so um, for example at at the talk there's a a lady that um, kind of said I I can't remember where she came from but she said that they had files going back 150 years Um, well you know and their board members uh, are named in it um, and so on Um, and so the the data kind of officer that was kind of talking to us about it he was saying well anybody that's passed away uh, their data is fair game you know that that's fine mm-hmm. um you know it doesn't doesn't it only affects the living um but then he was kind of saying do you need to hold that data you know that was a huge yeah. amount of data um you know is it really necessary uh, so it's sort of kind of ideally mm-hmm. you would need to ask consent but you could also do a risk assessment so you know 50 years ago would somebody really be bothered about you know their name being on some minutes um <laughs> i hope not, <laughs> I hope but, not that, but that's what you as an individual ha- you know you have to evidence that you've um either risk assessed or asked for consent
2: what if i say no what if bt contact me and say we need to hold this information about you all your phone records like all the people who you phone, I mean, BT is a good thing because they can see who I phoned. And I say, no, I don't want you to hold the details of anyone that I phoned.
0: But I still what want to buy from you.
2: Yeah, what happens then? That, they, can't not ha- they can't, I can't be their customer, can I? Yeah, so it, what it is I'm a bit
0: like a tick box system. I think there, is, there yeah. is a certain amount of implied permission if you are having to hold their data to be able to um, provide a service for them. But it might be that if you say no, it's to say, well, we can't provide a service to you if we're not allowed to know your first name. or your So then the whole user. thing
2: becomes meaningless. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not meaning to put yeah. a downer on it. But then, you know, my mobile phone company, if, you know, if they need to store the phone numbers, uh, you know, if I was a criminal and I, d- and I said, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't I don't want you to hold the numbers of all my criminal friends that I phone regularly. You know, uh, you can't the orange or E or whoever can be seen to be protecting criminals by not storing yeah. any information about the people they're calling. So it has to happen. So they have to store that information. So it is kind of a case of you like it or lump it, isn't it? You couldn't have a yeah. phone if you don't want your information stored. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it will be, you know, you'll have to sort of read into their sort of policies, basically, and they will be sort of tweaking them to cover themselves, um, mm. I suspect. Yeah. And, and yeah.
0: that's the bit that we, uh, that is slightly muddy for me. The, the marketing side of things, I think, is is fairly easy, reasonably easy to understand, Um, it's when they are a customer and how you're holding that data and um, you know like minutes and things like that it becomes a bit more muddy at that point Uh,
2: what i quite like about this up the irony if if they do send me a form that has my name on it and address and i have to sign it to say that i i consent to gdpr that form in itself has to be destroyed (laughs) yeah doesn't it because it's got my information on it and i've agreed to something and i maybe i don't want them to keep that But they have to keep it in order to prove that, I, you know, it's like a catch-22 crazy situation but, where uh, these things are like, I don't know, not allowed to exist.
1: <laughs> I think also, though, if there's a scenario that came up in the in the meeting I went to, as a company that make play, like children play furniture, like Wendy Houses and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that they... Uh, throughout was that if a child damages themselves on the play structure uh, they have uh, three years after they turn 18 to apply for compensation Um, so they were saying that they have to keep the data of every person that they sell a product to for 21 years so that's you know, and then that throws up into play and it has to be accurate as well. That's not something I've highlighted. You have to ensure that the data that you keep is accurate so it's up-to-date and relevant. So, you know, every couple of years they would need to get back in touch you to make sure it. they're at the same address so they haven't changed their well. name. Gosh,
2: really, this is, again, this is small businesses. It's crippling, isn't it? The amount of time they might need to spend But on is,
0: this. That, is that something that's in play already with children's play equipment? So is it, it's not part of GDPR?
1: Well, they keep... The, the data anyway right. so it's something uh, that, that they the, so of...
0: they were basically saying we have to hold this data for 21 years how does that impact yeah. us yeah so i can understand i, I think there is a, a clause in gdpr that says if there is another law that contradicts it that law wins so in this case <laughs> basically basically, <laughs> oh, the i think in this case that the whatever law is compelling them to keep the data for 21 years that one would be superseded it
1: yeah. So, if there's a sort of a legal implication, then they, you know, they can keep that data, but they just have to um, ensure it's relevant.
0: So, going back to your example with BT, we're going to lots of speculation now. But going back to the example with BT, mm. I think it's probably a legal requirement that they keep your transaction details because it's part of the history mm. business that they're billing yeah. you on. So, but it's the
2: but I agree, but it's the big companies that get hacked and the data stolen from. Yeah. So I, I don't, yeah, again, yeah, you know, I don't mean to be negative. It just seems like the little guys, the plumbers, these guys who sell playground equipment, give me the guys falling
0: over themselves trying to, you know. Um, well, yeah,
2: but you uh, uh, know, plumbers right are not going to get hacked anyway.
0: <laughs> say what? Scraps, plumbers don't keep things on computers or scraps paper in oh, their of paper. Oh, of course not. So that's well, not, well, exactly. That's, but not... that's
2: even worse, isn't it? With well, the flower stolen? All my data, they know exactly what kind of toilet I have, yeah. what size pipes I'm using, uh, <laughs> what taps, well, I've got the lever ones or the turn ones. I mean yeah, you know, that's not acceptable
0: i think i think we're gonna to have to wrap it up here but maybe um, i'm i'm going to this the workshop claire that you went to um uh i'm going on the 14th of november so maybe um we can revisit this at some point in the new year It'd be good once there's a lot of these waters have become clear and we understand a bit yeah. more and that people aren't sort of panicking about it because i don't think there's anything to panic about here it's just thinking things through and and sort of looking at different scenarios It'd be good to approach it again um mm-hmm. there are a couple of things that we're going through some is it is it 10 steps from the ICO their guidelines
1: it's 12, 12 steps. steps so if you're if... <laughs> don't miss those don't, last, don't two. Miss the last two that, <laughs>
0: um so if we can get the link in the show notes people, perhaps people can look through those because that, that's basically what we're working through we've got each of those steps and we're basically going through them one by one making uh, basically putting a case together that we've covered it off and that that's as you know our um Uh, our best effort in trying to make sure that we are doing the right thing. Um, Thanks very much, Claire, for that. Uh, Good to have you on. Hopefully, yeah, we can have you again. Um, (laughs) So I'll just finish off by saying if you want to find the show notes for this episode, uh, you can do so on our website. So that's ratherinventive.com forward slash podcast. This episode will be the one at the top. If you want to get in touch with Al or I on Twitter, I'm at Ben Kinnaird on Twitter and Al is at inventive.com. Al. Uh, Claire, do you have anywhere online that we can find you? No. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) Patrick That's honest. honest. Um, If you are interested in being part of the show, you can uh, send in your questions on business, marketing, or creativity for our next episode to at ratherinventive on Twitter, or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com and that comes straight to me. And I promise I will read it. I may not reply, but I will read it. or oh, if you want to mention your product or service just like HTS did uh, earlier, you can mention that, rather inventive, on Twitter with a hashtag Podvert, and it will be neatly put into our spreadsheet to read out over the coming episodes. Thank you very much, and thanks very much, Claire.
1: Thank
0: you. Bye. Ticket and ticket and ticket and ticket and ticket